Just a minute. I'm coming. FBI, open up! Just a minute. Hello, everybody. This is Legal Man. Welcome to the show. It's going to be a good episode. I'm going to do a kind of part two on my trial of the Constitution and the government's authority. I did part one. If you haven't heard that, you might listen to it. I'm going to play some Spooner today. I'm going to play a little bit more. We're going to talk about where does the Constitution get any authority over me? We're going to continue that because it's a very important question. Now, for people who don't know me, I'm a lawyer. I've practiced for more than 30 years. I'm America's most trusted and beloved lawyer. I'm also a self-certified master practitioner. I gave that title to myself almost 20 years ago. I'm pretty proud of it. So, <laughs> all right, enough fooling around. The show runs a little bit over, I think, so let's go ahead and get started. So I'm going to continue my somewhat series, quash series, about where does government get its authority and where does the Constitution get its authority and just kind of looking at these issues because they're unbelievably important. And when I ask people for answers, they don't have jack shit. They can tell me. (laughs) And it always just blows my mind that people are okay with the idea that we've just turned over all this so-called authority to this giant government full of criminals who just do anything they want and abuse us endlessly. And then they want to tell me all about the freedom and the liberty and the consent and the justice and the stupid will of the people and all these things that are just Barnum statement bullshit. They really are. And so I'm, I'm kind of putting this whole issue on trial. And like I said last time, if you haven't listened to that show, probably go listen to the first part of this. But generally, I... I determined that, look, if the government is going to claim to have this authority, then the government has this burden to prove. They need to come forward with the evidence that proves they have authority over me, that they're exercising it properly, and that I've consented to this, or at least some other method for why it is they somehow can just write some shit down on a piece of paper, and I have to obey it, otherwise they have a right to come and kill me or put me in a cage. And if they're going to produce this evidence, they need to produce it. The burden of proof, I think, needs to be at least beyond a reasonable doubt, the same as for a criminal trial, because otherwise, how could they charge me with crimes and put me in prison if they can't even prove the underlying authority? And I encourage everybody to go look, try to find out where does the Constitution get its authority? Where does it get it? (laughs) Because we're told that our government gets its authority from the Constitution. It's a limited government. And unlike all these horrible dictatorships and all this other crap, ours has the consent of the people. And that's what supposedly sets us apart. Well, go look it up. Go see. Find out where you can possibly find any information about where does the Constitution get its authority. There's almost nothing on it because they just blow past this issue all the time. And they do it because the entire thing is a con job. The government authority is a con job. There is no actual authority over you. The authority is slipped past with these Barnum statements and circular arguments. And you're going to see. I found this video done by the Antonin Scalia School of Law. And they have some law professor chick that comes on and she just... Her explanation is such a joke. I don't know how anybody can think this is sufficient. I remember in law school... I asked my con law professor and some other professors, like, I don't understand, where does the Constitution get its authority? You know, they just talk about it as the law of the land, this sort of fundamental law, 
It's like, okay, well, I don't understand. Where's that? Where does that come from? And it's always the same answer that it somehow, once it was ratified, it became the law of the land. Again, these are just, they're just generalized statements. They're Barnum statements. They mean something different to everybody. This idea that it was ratified, I I went over how many problems there are with this so-called ratification in my previous video, but that's the answer, and you're going to hear it. Again, I'm going to play this clip from this lady. I'm going to basically allow her to testify about where does the Constitution get its authority? Let's hear where it comes from, okay? And we're going we're gonna to listen to it. So here she is. From my understanding and point of view, uh-huh. originalism is the appropriate methodology to use in interpreting the Constitution okay. because of the idea that the Constitution came into being as law when the people through their state legislative bodies or, or through their state conventions uh-huh. who were picked up by the people to represent them uh-huh. decided to ratify the okay. Constitution okay. as the governing document for we the people here in the United States. Okay, that sounds very circular. I'm sorry, ma'am, but that's very circular. That It became into power, it came into authority, came into being when the people ratified it. Okay, well, uh, that's not me. You're, you're talking as though I did that. I'm asking you, where does the Constitution get any authority over me? <laughs> it's just claiming it has authority because someone else voted on it. That's irrelevant. It doesn't matter that somebody else voted on it. Those people had no authority whatsoever to bind me. And what way are they connected to me as an agent? When did I authorize people before I was born to bind me? Nowhere. See, one Congress can't even bind another, can they? No, they can't. So one Congress can't even bind another Congress, but this explanation of how this thing came into authority is that a very tiny handful of people a couple hundred years ago supposedly went in and, and, and authorized it. So there's nothing magic about that. See, people skip over the most fundamental issue. Where does the Constitution get its authority over me? Where? The answer is they don't have one answer. The answer is this, this vote. This idea, this vote, and it's couched in all these terms that the people voted, oh, and you're part of the people. Okay, well, I'm not actually part of the people. See, I'm not part of the people who voted. Most of the people who were alive weren't part of the people, but certainly the people today aren't part of it. They aren't part of it. So where does it get its authority? (laughs) Where does it get its authority to say anything to me, to make me do anything? Where's my consent? See, it's skipped over that incredibly fundamental question, the entire basis for the government doing absolutely everything it does is this supposed constitution. Well, putting aside all the discussions, the arguments, and everything else about what the hell a constitution even says or means uh, in each one of its phrases, how would that document somehow get authority at all? Maybe it got authority over those people who were alive back then. I don't know. What about the people who voted against it? Where was the vote to agree that if you lost a vote by a slim majority, that then you would agree that the government would have authority over you? Where's that vote? Where's that vote? See, there, that vote doesn't exist. I give this example all the time to people. If you're sitting around with a group of friends and everyone says, let's go to dinner, no one can decide where. And you say, oh, we'll take a vote. Uh, well, I don't know, I'm going to take a vote. Dude, you, you three want to go there. I don't want to go there. So I'll get outvoted. What's the point? Okay, well, we're going to go. And now you have to go because we're going to vote. 
Uh, no. The answer to that is you're welcome to vote and you're welcome to go to dinner where you guys want and I'm going to go where I want or we're going to reach a compromise where we're all happy. You see, they ignore that. That's what actual voluntary consent looks like among people. But we don't get that with the Constitution. You get some people who said yes, some people said no. Well, there aren't even records to indicate who, d- who did any of this voting. The number of people was so tiny, but there's no records. So we, there's no back, way to go back and check. But it's a guarantee that there were plenty of people who voted no. They wanted to continue with the Articles of Confederation. But what happened? They had a few extra people they claimed voted for it, and therefore it became uh, law and it got authorized. Well, where's the vote that says that if I lose this vote, I'm willing to engage in this vote, and if I lose this vote by a simple majority, that I will live by the results of that vote? Where's that? See, that's a key piece that's missing from actual consent, even for the people who were alive then. Putting aside all the problems of the slaves and the women, the most people couldn't vote, of the people who were actually even qualified to vote, which was an incredibly small number. There's like 3 million people in the country at the time. There's 330 million now, less than 1% of the population of what we have now. And of the people who were there, half were women, tons were slaves, and most of the men couldn't vote themselves. So this unbelievably tiny, tiny fraction of people supposedly had a vote couple hundred years ago, which was a split vote. Lots of people voted for it, lots of people voted against it, and somehow it gets authority. Why is this not a point that's important to people? Think of all of the power the government claims it exercises as a result of this supposed vote. So you ask the woman, what's her explanation? And it's this mealy-mouthed load of crap. In fact, I'm going to play it again because it's so totally ridiculous. So let's play it again, okay? point of view, originalism is the appropriate methodology to use in interpreting the Constitution. Interpreting. Because of the idea that the Constitution came into being as law when the people through their state legislative bodies or or through their state conventions who were picked by Uh the people to represent them Uh decided to ratify the Constitution as the governing document for we the people here in the United States. (laughs) And so when the public, when when citizens elected ratifying conventions within the states, it gave Uh them authority to say yes or no to the Constitution Uh and they voted to Uh ratify it. That would be the point when the Constitution became governing law in the country, and therefore it's important to know what that law means. And so originalism indicates that we'd want to go back and understand what the document meant at the time that it got its legal authority, at the time that that it came into legal effect. Okay. Ms. Mascott, that's the name of the professor here who's supposedly testifying about this, the answer you gave just simply ignores what I asked. Where is any evidence that the people ever agreed that they would live by this simple majority vote of this incredibly small fraction of the people to give the Constitution authority. (laughs) See, there isn't any. So there's no answer to what about the people who didn't vote in favor, who particularly voted against it. That's what they did. They voted against it. They were all brought in by somehow we the people, consent of the people. That's all just brushed over. All just brushed over. Do you see? that the most important, most fundamental question that everybody should have a very simple, clear, overwhelming evidence answer from the government on, they don't have any answer at all. 
they have a circular load of nonsense about some vote from some time ago that occurred with some tiny group of people who we've never met who said that now it's authority. Okay. Where's the binding effect? How does that have authority over me? There is no answer to that question. There is no answer to that question. They don't have an answer to that. Think about that. (laughs) It's pretty amazing, right? It's pretty fucking incredible. And on top of that, this answer that they give, this idea of a vote, the we the people voted. Okay, what about the Civil War? What is the explanation for how the Constitution maintains its authority under this explanation of a so-called vote that occurred 80 years prior to the time that then the people voted to leave and then half the people decided they were going to go down there and force them back in? How does this discussion about some vote in 1789 or 1787, whenever the stupid rigged up vote occurred on the Constitution... How does that have anything to do with the fact that the people in the South voted to leave, they formed their own country, they left. The North went down there, murdered them, and forced them back in. So when I asked you, where does the government get its authority, why did you just skip over that? That very important issue that the country was divided, it was split, and half the people left and they were forced back in. In what way does the Constitution continue to have authority over those people? And in what way at all could it ever said to have authority over people under the circumstances you gave when they were actually forced back in at gunpoint? How? (laughs) See, it doesn't work. Their explanation ignores that problem. And Again, it's because of the way they teach everybody. They teach everybody this idea about the Constitution, 1787, the founders. Okay, whatever any of those things were. I just went through and showed you how whatever authority they could have even gotten out of that would have been extremely scant, and it would have only been over the people who voted yes to the Constitution. They wouldn't get any authority over anybody else. They wouldn't. (laughs) If you voted no to it, what's the legal theory under which you then became bound? Unless you had also first agreed that you will have a vote under the conditions they've claimed and that you will live with whatever the majority of the vote determines. But there is no vote like that, see, because nobody would agree to that. (laughs) Because if you hold a minority position, then you have No say, because a minority position is not going to carry the day. So if the minority position is not going to carry the day, why would you say, I'll agree to go go along with whatever you say? It doesn't make sense. And even if you wanted to agree to it, there's no evidence anyone ever did that. So they were never offered that chance. And so the very first fundamental explanation they provide isn't any good, even for 1789 and to control all these people. And certainly by the time you get to 1860, they have no explanation. See, they have no explanation for how this could have ever continued after the Civil War. That doesn't make any sense. Because at that point, the people have voted and left, and now they're being forced back in. So what is the original vote and the will of the people and the freedom and the consent? And somehow, how does any of that make any sense with that? It doesn't make any sense, see? It's something they ignore. It's the exact same problem I faced in law school when I asked my professors about it. And the reality is tons of people clearly just don't ever think about it. They never consider it. 
They just don't. Why? They don't consider it because there's no good answer to it and their entire profession makes no sense. Teaching, quote, constitutional law. All the crap they say is just presumed away. See, it's presumed to be the law of the land and then they start analyzing from there. But a really rational person wouldn't give away his power like that. They just simply wouldn't. And I'm going to play you a little tiny bit of Lysander Spooner and the explanation he gives and the questions he raises with regards to this idea that the Constitution, which is at best a contract, it's at best a contract, that's the way they describe it, will the people, they institute, they ratified it because they voted and they decided in power and all this crap. So let's listen to a little bit of the counter-argument that you never get. I'm going to play you a little bit of Lysander Spooner's No Treason. The Constitution has no inherent authority or obligation. It has no authority or obligation at all, unless as a contract between man and man. Correct. And it does not so much as even purport to be a contract between persons now existing. It purports, at most, to be only a contract between persons living 80 years ago. And it can be supposed to have been a contract then only between persons who had already come to years of discretion, so as to be competent to make reasonable and obligatory contracts. Bingo. The incredible part there is that this guy's book, Lysander Spooner, I read it 20 years ago. It blew my mind. Uh, he wrote a bunch of different stuff. I'd never heard of the man, but everybody should read No Treason, The Constitution of No Authority by Lysander Spooner. Everybody should. And the reason you've never heard of this book is because they have no answers to the questions that he raises here and the argument he makes that totally and completely blows up the idea that the Constitution has authority, like that stupid chick was saying, oh, because of the vote of the people. He's just going through it. It's a contract, at best, between those people. Well, (laughs) they aren't even alive. He was right at the time of the Civil War. I remember when I read this, it finally made sense why I'd always been so confused, why nothing my law professor said about it made any damn sense. It's because they didn't know what the hell they're talking about. And neither did constitutional conservatives who just skip over the fact that they never address these arguments. They just don't. This man thinks clearly, and he doesn't have any love for the Constitution. He's just going through it. Look, at best, it's a contract between a couple of men. That's it. That's all it is. It doesn't have any effect on anybody else. They know they can't bind anybody for all times. He knows that. We know historically that only a small portion, even of the people then existing, were consulted on the subject, Bingo. or asked, or permitted to express either their consent or dissent in any formal manner. So nails it. Those persons, if any, who did give their consent formally are all dead now. (laughs) Most of them have been dead 40, 50, 60, or 70 years. And now, of course, you can add 100, 150, 200 years they've been dead. It's absurd. And the Constitution, so far as it was their contract, died with them. Yep. They had no natural power or right to make it obligatory on their children. Mm Mm-hmm. It is not only plainly impossible in the nature of things that they could bind their posterity, but they did not even attempt to bind them. Correct, which is what I tell people all the time. One Congress can't even bind the next Congress. These men who made the thing and and whoever ratified, they all knew this. It's all been twisted and, and distorted by constitutional conservatives to push big government ever since. That's all. That is to say... The instrument does not purport to be an agreement between anybody but the people then existing, nor does it either expressly or impliedly assert any right, power, or disposition on their part to bind anybody but themselves. Let us see. Its language is, 
We, the people of the United States, that is, the people then existing in the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. Yep. It is plain in the first place that this language, as an agreement, yes. purports to be only what it at most really was, that is, a contract between the people then existing, and of necessity, binding as a contract only upon those then existing. Yes, that's it. That's all there is to it. And they just refuse to address this unbelievably problematic flaw in the concept that the government has legitimate authority over me or anybody else alive today. We haven't agreed to it. It's not a magical document. You can't have magic occurring 250 years ago where some magic people agree to something and then somehow everyone's bound forever. It doesn't work like that. And they simply ignore it. So as you can see, it's pretty damn obvious that the government is a scam. And all this discussion of all these stupid details about what someone's letter said and what they said in their notes, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You can read my diary. It doesn't make any damn difference. My fucking journal doesn't bind anybody. It's idiotic. See, there's no discussion of how does this thing work to bind people who don't actually agree to it. <laughs> there is no legal theory. Hi, it's Legal Man. I hope you're enjoying the show. If you appreciate the unique insight and information I provide, then go over to my Patreon account for The Quash and become a member. I have bonus shows and material, early access, and it's a good place to meet like-minded people. I have people ask me all the time, what can we do, legal man? <laughs> well, start by voting with your pocketbook. It's the only vote that really counts. Support things that tell people the truth. Getting people to understand the truth is the only solution we have to this insanity. Look, I get it. There are a lot of people who can't afford to support my show with money. But there are a lot of people who can. And if you can and you like the show, you should support it. That's what free markets look like. The people running this scam, they have unlimited funding. I don't have support of that system. In fact, I get harassed because I tell people the truth that they don't want the people to know. So we have to stick together. So go sign up. Now let's get back to the show. See, there's no discussion of how does this thing work to bind people who don't actually agree to it. <laughs> there is no legal theory. There isn't one. That's it. And now you do hear some stupid crap about a social contract, and I'm going to go into that in later episodes. But the reality is that a social contract stands in opposition to the idea of a constitution. You can't have them both. If I'm bound as a result of a social contract is a vague thing that has no real terms. The Constitution, on the other hand, is supposedly a very specific document that gives government very express limited powers. So you can't have it both ways. You can't be the government has power through the Constitution. Oh, the government, that doesn't work? Okay, well, the government has power through the social contract. No, you've got to pick. You've got to pick one or the other because you can't have a very particularized thing and go through all this originalism horse shit and then say, well, it's actually only about a social contract. <laughs> it's either about the Constitution or it's not. That's all. And you can see how very quickly all of the arguments that they make from this constitutional conservative point of view, they all fall apart. Liberals, of course, don't even bother. They just believe that the Constitution, the government, they want a government to tell everyone what to do. But 
you can see that the constitutional conservatives, they don't really have an answer for it. They have to skip past this most fundamental issue is where does the Constitution get any authority at all over someone today? Certainly someone like me who doesn't even agree to any of the crap the government's doing, nor to any of the authority they claim to have. They don't have an answer for it. That's the problem. They don't have an answer for it. And the fact that this comes as a shock and a surprise to most people is depressing to me because with the internet, I found this book through the internet and a buddy of mine 20 years ago. And anybody has had access to the internet, but nobody finds the information. And this is why I rag so hard on these constitutional conservatives, because they're such enemies, they're such traitors who run around pushing this thing, which is this gigantic government. And they claim it has all these logical arguments and explanations, and it's so legitimate and all this other crap. It's not. The very first step, it falls apart. And there are no witnesses they can call that can ever support it. They'll lose this trial. That's why they can't ever have the trial. They can't, and they never will. So I'm going to go on and do a little bit more Spooner and some additional material here in my Patreon, but this thing's, I've run out of time today, and I'll pick this thing up again, and I'll do a social contract version of it as well, start to see what that's about. But I hope people now see how truly hollow the arguments are how they just miss everything that matters. They just avoid it. <laughs> Law professors, they can't address the most fundamental question. So, well, if you like hearing me uh, tell the truth, then you can follow me on Twitter. I'm Legal Man at US Law Review. And you can follow my show and you can, you can support my show. I've got a Patreon account and you can support that. And, and I want to thank the people who are in my Patreon account now. Uh, they really put their money where their mouth is, and I appreciate it. I really do. It makes a big difference because I do a lot of work in the black box, and it's nice to know people appreciate my work and support it. So thank you. I know people hate Patreon, but, I, you know, that's what I've got right now. So anyway, you don't have to support the damn show. <laughs> uh, all right, well, I'm going to wrap it up there. You've been a great audience. Uh, thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Everybody have a nice night or day wherever you are. Take care. Thank you, everybody. Let's put your hands together one more time for Legal Man. Great show. Thanks so much. Get the ticker service on the way out. More quash. More quash.